Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. Well, it is good to be here, whether you are joining us here in the sanctuary, whether you are joining us online, whether you are listening on KTCU, whether you've been a part of this congregation your entire life, whether this is your first time to church, whether it's your first time in a long time to church, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, know that you are welcome here. And we are so glad and so honored and so privileged that you have chosen to be with us on this day. Now, we have in Scripture four accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. We call them Gospels, a word that quite simply means good news. And for the last six weeks leading up to this day during the season of Lent, we have been reading as a congregation through the Gospel of Luke. We have defined it, sort of started calling it the Gospel of Nobodies, because what we have seen is just about every page over and over again that Luke paints Jesus as being someone who is deeply concerned with those that society oftentimes refers to as the nobodies, the marginalized, the invisible the little, the lost, the least, those that are made to feel second class. And every turn, over and again, those are his most important. Now, in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story tends to move fairly quickly until it gets to the last hours of his life. When he arrives in Jerusalem to begin what we oftentimes now refer to as Holy Week, the events of the last week, everything slows down, and all of a sudden we are given a lot more detail. If this were a movie, the scenes would be moving pretty quick, and then all of a sudden they slow down. There's more nuance. There's more pictures. There's all sorts of different things that remind us that this, this is the most important part. It's almost as if the the Gospels are introductions to the passages about the death and the resurrection. And in those passages, what we read are some horrible atrocities that took place on that day. The betrayal, the torture, the crucifixion, the death, all of it with great detail and with nuance. But we're here this morning. We're here this morning because that is not the end of the story. We're here this morning because there's more to it than that, that the last word belongs to God and not those that would inflict humiliation and pain. And so I invite you to listen now to this word that comes to us from Luke's gospel about the defining story of the Christian faith. This morning's scripture comes from Luke, it's chapter 24, the first 11 verses. Here begins the reading. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. 
He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The word of God for the people of God. So if I were to ask you this morning, what is your defining story? What would you tell me? What is the story that we tell ourselves, that oftentimes runs through our heads, that that helps shape our values, our ideals, helps us understand how how we know our place in the earth, about what our lives are about? We all have one of those stories even if we haven't articulated or necessarily identified it yet. Now, admittedly, for some, it's the story of being hurt as a child. And it was awful. And you were hurt badly, and you carry with you some pain and some bitterness and some anger. And sometimes all of that leads to hate. And that hate shapes the way in which you live Of course, horrible things happen every day. They hurt us deeply, but at some point we have to decide whether we're going to make that our defining story or something else. Keith Miller, in his book Habitation of Dragons, writes about a support group that he was a part of years ago. And in this group, this this group that was getting together to help them overcome some of the struggles and the hardships that they'd had in life, and part of that process was to gather together, and they began to tell their spiritual autobiographies, their faith journey up to that point. And there was a woman in that group by the name of Alice. And one day Alice told her story about how when she was a very young child, she was given up and placed in an orphanage. Now, Alice wanted more than anything else in this world what we all want, a home, a family, a place to know that she is valued, that she is loved. But Alice wasn't very cute. She was a little bit socially awkward. And she wanted those things so badly that she sometimes tried a little too hard to please everybody around her. Well, after she'd been in the orphanage for a few years... One day, the director of the orphanage came and said, I have good news, Alice. There's a family that wants to take you home. Now, as you can imagine, she began to light up. But the director says, now wait. Don't get your hopes up too much. Keep in mind that this is a trial period. But she didn't hear any of that. All she heard was that there's a family that wants to take you home. And home they went. And for her, she thought it was going great until a few months later when she came home from school one day and there in the hallway was her suitcase packed, filled with all of her belongings. They decided to take her back to the orphanage. 
Now, when Alice told this story in that support group that day, everybody that was there, tears began to fill their eyes. And then Alice cleared her throat, and she took a deep breath. And she said, almost matter-of-factly, that happened to me seven times by the time I was 13 years old. Now at this point, everyone in the group is weeping and someone gets up and walks across the room and she stops them and says, no, no, wait, you don't understand. I need that past. I need that story because it led me to God. We are here to celebrate another defining story. Christians call it the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the story of a God that created the cosmos. And that cosmos reflected the goodness and the glory of God. And that cosmos was able to sustain human life. And so God created in God's very own image human beings, you and me. And gave us free will to be able to do things like choose good or choose evil. We would be able to choose the path that we would follow. In order to make sure that we followed the right path, God sent people like Moses and the prophets, to be able to to lay before us the road that we should take. Didn't always do it all that well, so God then sent Jesus, who would come to teach us what it means to be human in the fullest sense of the word. He taught us to, to, to love God with our hearts and with our soul and with our mind, and we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves, even our enemies. That when we see someone who's hurting who's suffering, that we should show compassion, we should suffer with them, but also we should help them in any way that we can. He told us that we are to forgive. Not just once, that's not nearly enough, but we are to forgive over and over and over again. This, he said, is what it means to be human, that our lives are a reflection of love and grace, that we are to be holy, But of course, there was a small group of people that were threatened by those words, by those challenges, and they decided that this Jesus had to die. And they worked it out with the Romans, and they accused him of an insurrection, and they tortured, and they beat, and they crucified him. And that appeared to be that. Just another troublemaker that was silenced. But we're here today because that wasn't that. And as we heard three days later, these women went to the tomb and they discovered that the stone had been rolled away and that he was not there. And they found him to be alive. And over the next 40 days, he would appear to countless individuals. It was the triumph over evil, over hate, over sin, over even death itself. So the cross became a sign not of torture, but a sign of God's great love and mercy. And for Christians, that is our defining story. And admittedly, we may not always live into it perfectly, but it reflects our our highest aspirations, our deepest convictions of what it means to be human in the fullest sense of the word. It gives us hope. It calls us to be more than we would have been otherwise. And it is also a reminder that as much as we may want to wipe away our past, whatever pain we may have experienced, that we need to remember that it is out of those ashes that God brings new life. 
Frederick Buechner is a Presbyterian minister, and he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional home. His father was an alcoholic, and he ended up dying by suicide when Frederick was in high school. As a young adult, Frederick was struggling, trying his best to make sure that 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 was not his defining story. And one day he found himself walking through the streets of New York and he passed by a church and just as he walked by, the doors opened and the music began to waft out into the streets around him. And he was compelled. And so he walked inside and he sat down. It was the first time in his entire life that he'd ever been to church. And as he sat and listened to the music, as he sat and listened to the message, he found himself coming alive. It spoke to him in ways that he never dreamed. And three months later, he started seminary. Like you do, right? <laughs> but he was able to hear the stories of scripture and to study them deeply with fresh ears. He didn't know all of the stories that we teach our children. Those were all new to him. And so he was asked later, how do you summarize the Bible? What's the, the overarching message of the Bible? And he thought for a moment and he said, it is simply this, that the worst things are never the last things. He said it gets repeated over and over again in the story of the flood and the story of Joseph, the story of Exodus and exile and resurrection, overarching narrative of the scriptures is that the worst thing is never the last thing. That is the defining story of the Christian faith. Now, your defining story is either going to make you more human or less human. It's going to make you more loving or less loving. It's going to make you more concerned for the vulnerable or make you be more inclined to look out for number one. It's going to either lead you to despair or lead you to live with a sense of hope. And today, today we celebrate this defining story. I read a survey recently that about 87% of Americans, this survey was just taken last month, about 87% of Americans feel like we have moved from crisis to crisis to crisis over the last couple of years, to crisis, to crisis, to crisis. That the last 24 months have just been this endless slog. We know that to be true. And even as COVID starts to recede, there is... Now there's this war in Ukraine. There are concerns over inflation here at home. Crisis after crisis after crisis. But the message of Easter is how we face crisis. It's how we face everything that life throws at us. It allows us to call our human experiences what they are. It frees us to say, you know, this thing that happened to me, it was awful. It was hell on earth. It was unjust. In the last couple of years, this pandemic, it has been a nightmare. But that's not the end of the story. You see, Easter, resurrection means that you can live with that pain, that you acknowledge that pain. You can even shout against the pain, raise your fist, because whatever it is, it does not have the last word. Easter says the story ain't over yet. Because the worst thing is never the last thing. 
So maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe your children are breaking your heart. Maybe the person that you love is cold and shut off. Maybe the pandemic caused your business to go south and it feels like the whole thing is just blowing up in your faith. But Easter says it's okay to name that. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to sit with it for a while, but don't you ever be deceived into thinking the last word has been spoken about that situation. Now, I've lived in Texas long enough to know that we have essentially three gods. The Lord Almighty, George Strait, and football. Am I right? Have I nailed that? Pretty much, pretty much. Now, now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. After, after the sunrise service this morning, come and come up to me and said, hey, old head, that was what they called me, hey, old head, it's not George Strait, it's Willie Nelson. So I don't know, I don't know. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you decide amongst your family over lunch. How's that feel? Well, the truth is, I don't have a good story about George Strait. I don't have one about Willie Nelson, but I do have a good story about football. And I can't wait to share it with you because it took place not too far from here, about a dozen years ago. Just up the road in Grapevine, there was a small high school, Christian high school by the name of Grapevine Faith. And they were taking on one Friday night underneath the lights, the Gainesville State School, which is more of a maximum security correctional facility than it is a school. The players were more inmates than they were students. Now, Faith and Gainesville had never played before, but even before that night, before the game was played, everyone knew the score. Because Faith was 7-2 and two going into the game. They were vying for a conference title. Gainesville was 0-8, and, and they had scored two touchdowns all season. Faith had 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment involved parents. Gainesville had 14 players, one coach, and 11 armed guards. They were wearing seven-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. And because most of their players had been convicted of drugs or assault or robbery, many of those families had disowned them and weren't there ever. The week before the game, the coach of Grapevine Faith, Chris Hogan, had this idea. What if, for this week only, half of our fans showed up and cheered for the other team? He sent out an email to the entire school and to all the parents and said, here's the message that I want you to send that you are just as valuable as any other person on the planet. Now, as you can imagine, there were some people that were a little confused by this, including, including the captain of the Grapevine Faith team that came to him and said, Coach, why are we doing this? And Coach Hogan said, I want you to imagine that you didn't have a home. And I want you to imagine that pretty much everybody has given up on you. And now... From that place, I want you to imagine what it would mean for you, for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. So that's what they did. That night, more people showed up than usual, and half of them sat on the other side, wearing 
school colors of those from Gainesville. They made a long tunnel for the team to run through before the game started and one of those great big signs for them to burst through. Even half of the cheerleaders wore the colors of the other team and cheered for them. And each fan picked their favorite player and would cheer for them by name. Later, later one of the Gainesville linemen would say, I thought they were confused. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> they had the ball, yet they started yelling, defense, defense, defense. And I was wondering, why are they cheering for us? The final score of the game was 33 to 14. But that night, everyone went home a winner. That night, the Gainesville team gave their coach a Gatorade bath. He was probably the first 0-9 coach to ever get a Gatorade bath in the history of football. <laughs> but he later went up to Coach Hogan and he grabbed him by the shoulders. With tears in his eyes and his voice cracking, he said, you will never know what you people did for these kids tonight. You will never know. So friends, here's what I know to be true in the very depth of my heart, is that people who see the gospel of Jesus Christ as their defining story are those people that know at the depths of their hearts that they are loved and adored as if they are the only ones to be loved in the world. The people who see as their defining story the gospel of Jesus Christ are those who, who stand up and cheer for the other team when they have no one to cheer for them that roots for the underdog. The people who go out of the way to lift up those that have been pushed down to show them that they have value and worth and that the world may try to convince them that they are nobody, but in the eyes of God, by God, they are somebody. So on this day, on this day, we tell this defining story. And we gather around the conviction that this world's brokenness is not finally what is most real and what is most true. Today, we gather around the conviction that God has not given up on this world, that this world matters, and that if Easter means anything, it means that the worst thing is never the last thing, that the story is never over, that God will always have the last word, and that word will always be life. That is the defining story of the Christian faith. What is your defining story? Amen. Love. Amen.